Go ahead and take your seats and open up your Bibles to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. And as you're doing that, I am going to ask you a very important question. If you saw me out walking and I was about to fall into a pit, would you tell me? What if, what if I knew the pit was there and I didn't think it was really that big of a deal, and yet it was clear to you that this was a very dangerous pit for someone to fall into? Would you warn me? How about this? If you saw me out walking and I was about to stray off into some wrong direction whereby I would most certainly be turned to stone, would you encourage me to make a different choice? All right. Would you want me to do the same for you? Of course, right? It's only the caring thing to do. Right? If you're in danger, I want to care for you by warning you. And if I'm in danger, I want you to care for me in the same way. This is obvious. And yet, listen, when the danger is the danger of sin, how often do we neglect to do the very thing that we all agree is undoubtedly the right thing to do? This is what I want to look at from God's Word with you this afternoon. And actually, it's a message that I've wanted to preach for some time now, and I'll tell you why by sharing with you what uh, I shared with a brother this week who asked me what I was preaching on today, and when I told him, uh, he asked a follow-up question, and it was a good one. He said to me, well, okay, in the life of the church, how often would you say this comes up? And because I hate exaggerating, I told him only about every week. It's true. We, we often get quite uneasy with the idea of addressing sin in someone else's life or hearing from someone else about sin in our lives. We tend to think that, you know, that's the Holy Spirit's job or, or that's the Bible's job. And while the Spirit of God and the Word of God are certainly God's means of addressing sin in our lives, here's what we're going to see in Hebrews 3, so are God's people. Yet a lot of the times, we, we omit this particular kind of care. We abandon the idea that God's Word calls us to be in each other's business, so to speak, in order to protect and to be protected from the dangers of sin. And I've so appreciated Pastor Ian's last couple of messages in Romans where he's been showing us how careful we need to be to make sure that we understand that we don't all have to think the same way about every issue. That we can have differing opinions and preferences, even convictions, without feeling the need to have to change one another's minds. But if you remember, in the midst of all of that, these very important words were said, not that we don't, what? Deal with sin, right? When it's not a matter of sin, we, we don't want to bind one another's consciences by what our conscience allows or disallows, but there are times, right, plenty of times, when each and every one of our consciences should be bound in the same way because the Word of God speaks to the issues of sin. Sin is dangerous, God's Word tells us. It's deceptive. It, it stems from unbelief and 
While it doesn't literally turn us to stone, it does have a hardening effect on our hearts that causes us to go astray from the living God. So this is what I want to focus on today. To keep us from going astray, an integral part of God's design for the church is for every person in the community to watch out for one another through the care of mutual exhortation. Let me say that again. To keep us from going astray, an integral part of God's design for the church is for every person in the community to watch out for one another through the care of mutual exhortation. And from two vantage points, I want to look at how God's Word instructs us when it comes to preventing hardness of heart. I want to show you how God's Word, in no uncertain terms, commands us to this mutual exhortation. I want to look at some reasons why we often resist both the giving and the receiving ends of this. And I want to persuade you to embrace mutual exhortation as a healthy practice in the church as a grace gift from God. Now the book of Hebrews, for some context, it's written to encourage its readers to not stray away from the Lord Jesus Christ. It warns of the danger about forgetting the Son of God. The one who's been sent by the Father to offer himself as the sacrifice for our sins. And it exhorts all who trust in him to remain faithful to the end where they will find true and final rest with their Savior. And this is precisely what's going on in chapter 3. And what I want to do is I want to pick up together reading from verse 7. And I'm going to read down through verse 15. And then the focus of the message will be on verses 12 and specifically verse 13. So look with me at God's word beginning in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, quote, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart and have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not. Enter my rest. End quote. Verse 12 Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And we'll stop there, but I want you to notice on your page, if you just look down um, at chapter 4 as well, the repeated patterns of, of paragraph, then quotation, paragraph, then quotation. And what's going on here is the, the writer of Hebrews is greatly concerned with the second half of Psalm 95. Essentially what he's doing is he's preaching a sermon on its application to his present readers. And this is captivating for a couple of reasons. One, because in Psalm 95, David wrote these words for his generation for the very same purpose as the author of Hebrews is writing to his generation 
which is also the very same purpose that I've brought this message to you this afternoon. What, what we see is across the span of millennia, the message is the same. And that's because it's God's message. Right? That's, that's the, another captivating part of, of even what's going on in this text. Did you catch it in verse 7? It says that the Holy Spirit says, before he quotes from Psalm 95, where we know that the author, the human author, is David. See, the instruction doesn't merely stand on the authority of what Israel's king wrote or even what the, the writer of Hebrews has to say, but on the reality that the Scriptures are the inspired Word of God. And what does God want to say? Don't follow the unbelieving example of the Exodus generation. Psalm 95, it, it's, it's so interesting, you would recognize it as one of the calls to worship in the Psalter that we would often use even here, so often calling us to worship the Lord, causing us to stand and sing praises to our God. And then about just halfway through the psalm, the, the gears shift, and, and all of a sudden, David, he starts saying these words and, and giving a warning, don't harden your hearts. Don't be like the rebels from the, the Exodus generation. And what he's, what he's saying is worship the Lord, but be careful that you're not, not worshiping the Lord. And we're called, just as those reading this letter for the very first time, we're called to make sure that we're looking at our own hearts and, and we're not acting in the same way. And sometimes, you know, we think of the book of Numbers, we think of those 40 years in the wilderness, we think of the Exodus generation, and we think, well, I, I would never do that. I would never be like them. I, I would never accuse God of wrongdoing. I would never blame God for the way things are going. I would never doubt His provision. I'd never question His wisdom and, and care for me. I, I would never suggest that my plans are better than God's plans. Yeah, right. Of course we do this. We may not come right out and say things so plainly as that, but, but this is what our hearts are, are prone to wander to as well. And so verse 12 is, is for us. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. We, this church, we need to take heed to the warning of a hardened heart. This command here, take care, it means to watch over with great diligence for safety. It means to be vigilant for what? For sin, to make sure that sin wouldn't creep in through failing to trust God causing us to fall away from Him. See, the Holy Spirit says it is possible. It's, it's happened before, so make sure that it doesn't happen to you. I think it's um, a good reminder here, too, that Scripture expresses different degrees of separation from God. We, we can draw a principle from this text that you know, not only will some fall away completely, that is a, a great danger, but, but also 
that there is an experiential sense of falling away from God, a, a, a forfeiting in the believer's life of that temporary um, earthly rest that comes before the heavenly rest when we stray away from the Lord Jesus. There's a hardness of heart that we can all experience. And listen, here's the gravity of the matter. We, we don't know how far that will take us. So we must take care. We, we must look to rid ourselves of sin and unbelief lest we to fall away from following the living God. Coming to verse 13, here we see the heart of what I want to get at in this message. Uh, as uh, the writer expounds and applies the Holy Spirit's words from Psalm 95, by the same Spirit he tells us that this is a community effort. Look again at verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another. This is the often resisted one another. And I said I wanted to look at this from two points of view, and so here's the first. To to guard against hard-heartedness, I need to speak to the sin in my brother's life. To guard against hard-heartedness, I need to speak to the sin in my brother's life. The word translated exhort here has a wide range of meaning. It, it could take the form of admonishment, a strong urging. It could be an appeal, a warning. It could be reproof, correction. It, it could also be counsel or a comfort or encouragement. But whatever form it takes... The context is that it's speaking into the danger of sin. It's getting involved, listen, personally and verbally to address an area of concern in someone else's life. That's what it means to exhort. And this is where we get some some more of us, or some more so and, and some less. This is where we get a little bit unsettled. Perhaps, you know, we read verse 13 and, and you're hoping that maybe this is a suggestion. It's a command. Maybe you think, well, surely this is talking to the elders and, and the deacons of the church. It's, I mean, it, it's their job, right? No, it says one another. Well, maybe it's reserved for addressing just the worst of the worst sinners. It says none of you. So that none of you. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Still, surely this is only supposed to happen uh, very rarely in the life of the church, right? It says every day. Every day. And and last time I checked, today was still called today. To keep us from going astray, an integral part of God's design for the church is for every person in the community to watch out for one another through this care of mutual exhortation. Each and every one of us is called by God to not resist His instruction to us to protect each other from the deception of sin. Listen, you can't say that's not my job. It's a community project. 
And so if, if we're going to do this, which God's Word commands that we do, then maybe what we need to do is, is see if we can see in this text and maybe even from the broader context of God's Word, what are some biblical principles that we need to keep in mind when we're exhorting others? Well, first, we need to keep in mind the actual target. The aim is very clear right here in the text. There is a singular motive that we should have when we speak to the sin in our brother's life, and that is to keep him or or our sister from falling away from the living God. That is what our heart's desire ought to be. We, We address sin because of the grave danger of a hardened, rebellious heart and because we don't want people to experience separation from Jesus. Certainly not to put people to shame. It's, it's not to embarrass people. It, it's not because I need to put them in their place, give you a piece of my mind, let you know the evil that you've done for some other reason. It's not even because you've sinned against me, necessarily. Right? What matters most is what your hardened heart will lead to. So we need to make sure that we're aiming for the actual target that God gives us in His Word. Caring for our brothers so that they don't have a, a, an unbelieving heart that leads them to fall away from the Lord. Leads them to have hardening in their walk with the Lord. Next, we need to keep in mind the appropriate timing. And, and this here, this is just to highlight some proverbial wisdom that um, there's a time and a place for everything. I mean, this is a sensitive topic, right, that we're looking at. To, to, to address uh, the dangers of sin in a brother or sister's life is no small matter. And so, we want to be careful to pay attention to things like Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 23, which says that a word in season is a really good thing. Sometimes sin needs to be addressed immediately without delay, but often, often what we find is that a thoughtfully planned time to talk to somebody is much more appropriate. Perhaps this is also a good spot as we're thinking about timing to talk about how many times we're talking about exhorting one another every day. Specifically, I'm thinking of you know, the same person. This is not, we're not called to be sin hunters. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like, you know, roll up our sleeves. Yeah, this is my spiritual gift to address sin in everybody else's lives all the time, constantly. Like, this is not ca- calling us to nag people to, to really you know, get in there and just non-stop look at every single issue that we think could possibly be addressed in everybody's life. That's not what this is talking about. We need to be mindful of timing. We also need to be mindful of the appropriate tone. Again, this is just proverbial wisdom. There, there is such a thing as a righteous, sharp rebuke in Scripture that is called for at times, but honestly, it's very rarely, isn't it? 
Most often what the Word of God calls for is something like what we see in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. You can turn there in your Bibles. It would be good to get our eyes on this passage, given what we're talking about here today. Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, in, in much the same vein as what we see in Hebrews 3, in verse 1 he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We want to speak to the sin in someone else's life in, in a respectful, you know, spirit-filled way with meekness, with winsomeness because what are we after, right? After all, we're, we're trying to lead them to repentance, to come back to the Lord. We can say the, the very same words in multiple different ways. You know that, right? Facial expressions, tone of voice, body language, all of these things matter tremendously in communication. And we need to be discerning and humble in the way that we approach our brother or sister to talk to them, to warn them about sin in their lives. Then lastly, we need to keep in mind the authentic truth. The authentic truth. And I want to talk about truth here in a couple of different ways. First, we want to make sure that if we're going to speak to the sin in someone else's life, that we make sure that we have the facts straight. Right? We need to make sure that we're perceiving, or what we are perceiving to be sin is actually sin. So on that note, asking questions is always a good, good thing. Striving to understand, because we want to deal with what is truthfully going on, right? Truth matters tremendously. And the other way that we want to be mindful of the truth is in what we are emphasizing in our exhortation. What we need to see in today's text is just how closely disobedience and unbelief are tied together. Here's what the Word of God is saying, that failure to walk with the Lord is a result of failing to believe the truth. Failing to walk with the Lord is a result of failing to believe what is true. We, we see this throughout this passage, right? An evil, what? Unbelieving heart. The text talks of the deceitfulness of sin. Look down at verse 18 of chapter 3. It says, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. See, disobedience and unbelief, they're, they're used interchangeably. See the same thing down in chapter 4. We see faith and disobedience being juxtaposed in the same way. In all of this, we see that the hard heart, hardness of heart, happens to the rebellious, stubborn, obstinate person who simply refuses to believe the truth. 
to believe the truth about themselves, about sin, about God, about the Savior. And our role in exhortation is to bring the truth to bear. It's to, it's to point one another to the truth of the gospel and to the promise that is in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 14. It says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold, we believe, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Those who are in Christ have come to believe that He is the Savior of the world. That He is the one who's come down from heaven to take the punishment for our sins upon Himself, to pay the penalty that we deserved so that we could stand before a holy and righteous judge forgiven, no longer guilty, but united to Christ and able to enter into His rest for all eternity. And then we've come to believe that if this if this gospel, if this good news of Jesus Christ is in fact the very truth that we need for our eternal salvation, that we need to now walk in the truth. We, we need to walk, the Scriptures say, in a manner that is worthy of this gospel that we believed. We need to believe that sin separates us from God. And again, that, that happens both eternally and experientially. And so when we address the sin in a brother or sister's life, we need to bring this truth to bear. We need to point them to the lies that they're believing. Our, our calling is to, sh- is to show where someone is, is straying from the truth. To speak in and to say, you're, you're believing the lies of sin. You're being deceived as though the pleasures of sin are greater than the rest that God has promised. You're believing the lie that that God is not faithful and and so you have to figure out some other way. You're believing that His Word is not trustworthy. And to all of this, we must say, brother, you're not walking in the truth. You need to be reminded of the truth. You need to come back to the truth. And as you can tell, my contention is that we have a difficult time actually doing this. What I see in my own life and in the life of of the church, and I don't just mean this church, in the life of the church is, is that exhort one another every day. It really is an often resisted one another. There's probably plenty of different reasons why. Maybe you have... Uh, one of your reasons, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's that we just don't care enough about others in their walk with the Lord. So, sometimes we think lightly about sin and its consequences. So, sometimes we believe, like I said, it's someone else's job. It's not my responsibility. Someone else will do that. Or, or sometimes we just we fear man, right? We love our own comfort and we, we, quote, hate conflict. And time doesn't permit us to, to delve into each of these 
any further, but I just want to leave those with you. I, again, I imagine for each one of us, one of these, or, or maybe it's another reason, might hit a little closer to home for you. And what I would do is I would encourage you to bring this to the Lord in prayer and, and really strive personally in whatever area it is to grow with the help of the Lord. But what I want to do with our time remaining is I want to just kind of flip the script here. I want to look at all of this from the other point of view. Here it is secondly, to guard against hard-heartedness, I need my brother to speak to the sin in my life. I need my brother to speak to the sin in my life. This is the obvious implication of verse 13, just from the other point of view, right? If, if I don't want to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, then I need this. I need others. I need you to exhort me every day. And yet, I would say even more so from this point of view, this is often resisted. I'm sure there might even be some here today who are hearing what I'm saying, and you probably think I'm insane. Like, what is this pastor talking about? He's actually encouraging everyone to go around addressing sin in each other's lives? I mean, this is going to be a disaster. You know what? That, that's because it often is, right? But it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Not if we're thinking the way that God wants us to be thinking about this. Not if we're aligning our, our heart with the Word of God when it comes to exhortation, both giving and receiving. Listen, it, is it a good thing or a bad thing if you tell me I'm about to walk off a cliff? It's for my protection that you tell me that. Psalm 141 and verse 5 says, Let a righteous man strike me. It's his kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. But instead of thinking about it like this, we're often offended that someone would dare suggest that our heart might be hardened in some particular area. Instead of being concerned that we may be offending the Lord in the area of our lives that they're trying to warn us about. We, we find it so incredibly audacious that somebody would want to warn me about my sin and we get bitter instead of being sincerely thankful, which is what we ought to be, that they would care for my soul so much. And here it is. It's because of what? Our pride, right? It's our pride. It's... it's our reflexive inner lawyer coming out and, and our instinctive reaction to this kind of thing that so easily uh, influences and governs the way that we respond and, and we just blurt out something, no, I don't. Right? Or we, like a child, we pout and, and storm off and, and we think that some great injustice has been done to us. And we say things, or, or at least we think inside, how dare you? Or how about this one? I'm going to avoid you from now on. 
Whatever relationship we once had will never be the same. Or how about this? I can't be in the same small group with you anymore. Or I'm going to have to find another church. All because a brother or sister is concerned that we might be in danger of hard-heartedness. God's heart for us is not this kind of response. We need this. We need our brother to speak to the sin in our lives. You know, I often say it like this. If, if, If I say that I care about holiness... Right? If, if I claim to hate sin, to want to walk closely with Jesus, that I want to live a pure and pleasing life before Him, then I can't think of a, a, a better, truer test than this. How do I respond when you come to me to tell me that you see an area in my life that's of concern to you where my heart might be hardened. Of course I'm in danger of sin's deception. That's That's the essence of our Christian faith. This is what we believe, right? That we're sinners in need of a Savior. And we're not yet made perfect, and and we need to embrace and appreciate other people helping us to walk with Christ. Could I even suggest this? We need to invite it. We need to ask for it. We We need to seek out others to speak into our lives. We'll get more to that in just a sec, because what I've done here is, um, to close out our time, I've come up with some answers to a few questions that you might be asking as you're thinking about this need. Here's the first question. Okay, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm, I, the Word of God is open. My heart is laid bare. I, I see the call. I see the need for this. So what should I do about this often resisted one another? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. How about we start with this, repent. Repent, that's always a good starting place, right? Confess as sin to the Lord whatever degree of resistance you know that you have in your heart to being exhorted by your brothers and sisters. There's not one of us listening who has this down. And in fact, I think it's a good time maybe to say this, This is how deceptive sin is and how sneaky pride is. Listen, everyone listen. Don't don't listen for the person that you wish was hearing this message right now. Listen for you right now. It is possible. this This is how deceptive pride can be. It is possible that you're hearing this message with hearty agreement to everything that I'm saying. And for you to still be terrible at hearing from your brother. It's it's possible for me to preach this message and still be terrible at hearing others speak to me about the sin in my life. So we need to go before the Lord. We need to confess this as sin. We need to ask Him to reveal to us 
maybe where we're blind to the hardness of our heart in this particular area where we resist this one another that God has designed for the church. And then also as part of repentance, so we confess, we ask for his help, and then what? We actually change. Right? Here's what I want to call you to. Decide to be the kind of person who humbly receives exhortation with the ready recognition that you need help to stay on course. Be that kind of person. You resolve in your heart to be the kind of person. It's a choice. It's a choice. Make the decision to think biblically about receiving exhortation from your brother or sister, believing that it's God's grace in your life. All right, next question. How can I respond better when it does happen? And to this, I'll come back to what I was just saying earlier. Get, get some practice. If, again, if this is for our good, right? if God has designed this to help us, to not stray away from him. We, we should seek it out. We should welcome it. And so I'll ask you, when is the last time that you sincerely went to a brother or sister and asked them if they see anything in your life that they would want to warn you about? And if this isn't something that you regularly do, consider who it's going to be and do it this week. Ask someone, Right? Say, say, I want to know, is there anything you see, any concern you have, that I might be straying from Christ? What, what would it be? Invite it. Invite it. Next question, well, what if I've had a bad experience in this? And I know that this is the case with some of you. You've, you've had a bad experience with someone trying to speak into your life. Maybe, you know, maybe they didn't have the full picture. Maybe they were really uh, unchristlike in the way that they spoke to you. Uh, maybe, maybe their intention wasn't uh, actually for your building up. Could I, could I just say this gently? Don't let your experience cause you to resist what God has designed to be a means of grace in your life. It's, it's not for sure. It's not always going to be done well. But listen, that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done, right? All right, how about this question? Can I not just pray and ask the Lord to reveal these things directly to me and skip the whole others being involved part? No. You can't say that. You you can't say, well, I'm praying about it. I'm praying God would show me, or, or I prayed about it, while there's someone in your life, or perhaps more than one in your life, who's trying to tell you. It doesn't work like that. This is, this is how God often tells us. This one another is God's answer to that prayer. And you say, well, what if they're wrong? Okay. What if they're wrong? What if they're right? right? Shouldn't we at least want to hear? Shouldn't, shouldn't we at least um, give a hearing? And if they're wrong, they're wrong. Maybe we need to ask someone else. Maybe we need to, to talk it through. But don't we want to hear the concern of our brother or sister? 
This leads to one final question. What is most important when I'm the one who's being exhorted? What's most important when I'm the one on the receiving end of this often resisted one another? This is a good question to ask because too often we focus elsewhere when from this viewpoint what really matters is truth. Right? This is the question. Is is what they're saying, maybe even just partly, true? Because if there's an area of my life that is indicative of rebellion, that is causing hardness of heart in my, in my life, in my soul, that, that's leading me away from Jesus, then why you're telling me or how you're telling me or when you're telling me is really of little consequence. I need to hear it, right? If it's true, that's what matters most because there's just too much at stake. Look where, it, look where sin leads us, away from the living God. We need to take care. Lest there be in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart that leads us to fall away from Him. And we do. We need to exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of us would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to warn others and we need to be warned by others about the grave dangers of turning away from Christ and going down the path that only leads to destruction. This is the one another that God has commanded us to practice. And I just want to call us today to not resist God's design for the church.